Welcome to a Healing Peace Podcast. My name is Kimir Baker. I am an overcomer, writer, speaker, and God enthusiast. I am fueled by helping women achieve their emotional healing so that they can live the abundant life God has for them. In this podcast series, we provide faith-based inspiration to men from emotional hurt along with tools and tips for emotional wellness. In your journey, as you apply these tools and tips, you will begin to live the transformed life that you always desired. In fact, you will possess a new you. Glad to have you back. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. I don't know about you, but sometimes we just need to hear that God is with us during these tough times. Not only is he with us, but he is still working on our behalf. He is in the supplying your needs business. In last week's episode, we highlighted more specifically him supplying Christ through tough situations. Well, as I stated previously, we have a great show for you today. We're not only going to talk about Paul in a little bit more detail, but God's deliverance, but also with us being locked up due to the pandemic, how in the world do we work through our adjusted lifestyle and dealing with ourselves? So yes, we are going to talk about it. And as I stated before, I love having friends come on the show and share their insights And the person that's here today with me, I'm actually really just excited to have. She's been very influential in my life for the past couple of years. And sometimes she actually makes it on the show, not knowing she's on the show because of all her wisdom and the great things that she exudes. It comes out. So without further ado, Sindhu, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kamir. I am so excited to be with you today. Well, I'm excited to have you. And as I said before, we're going to talk about some good stuff. But before we get started, can you please let people know who you are? Okay, well, I'd love to do that. I am originally from India. I am a missionary kid. My parents were, still are, missionaries in India, Bible translators to be specific, Wycliffe, India. And so I came to the U.S. in 2007 to pursue my master's in biblical counseling, which by God's grace, I was able to complete in 2009. And soon after, married the love of my life, Robert Jefferson. And together we have Luke. He is our extroverted six-and-a-half-year-old, and and I am also mom to Nat the cat, 13 years old, and eight-week-old Gracie, our Aussie puppy. So that is a little about me and my family. Oh, that's pretty neat, and I I like the fact that you decided to do counseling. So what attracted you to counseling? Well... So I pretty much grew up around family and and Christian community, and it came from a lot of the feedback that I was getting about how they noticed that I was a good listener, 
And I absolutely loved encouraging people. So I think that had a lot to do with it. And of course, there was a lot of ups and downs and twisty roads in between. But I truly believe that it was the grace of God that finally took me to the the exact path which I'm on today. Huh. And that's pretty neat because as you were saying that, I was like, well, at least your family didn't say you was crazy and you needed some help. Or you feeling like, oh, my family is crazy. You need some help. So now we're about to figure this out (laughs) together. So that's kind of neat that they saw the positive aspects of being an encourager and a great listener, which I do echo those sentiments. Well, you know, now that you say that, while they may not have said that way back when, The more I am on this journey of being a counselor, I think the the thing that I feel qualifies me the most, and I'm going to steal the the title of a book by Henry Newman that's called The Wounded Healer, you know, Ah. and I think that the thing that keeps me on this path is realizing that it's not my perfection or the fact that I have it all together that qualifies me to help others. It's the fact that I'm wounded, I'm broken, and I met Jesus along the way and allowed him to to meet me and mend me. And now I want to share that with Christians and non-Christians alike in, in whatever capacity I can. Yeah, and I'm like, you see, this is why I like you. (laughs) that's that's of course one of the reasons why I'm here on the podcast is to share through the things that I've gone through my own journey and knowing that I am wounded but Mm -hmm. in the midst of that woundness that God is still with me and with us and that he has a great plan for us absolutely but also too I think what's even more I think exciting is the mere fact that this pain can or this journey, or this understanding can be used for good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so, amen, kindred spirits. I love it. But, okay, so I can get back to the show, so we're not going to be here all day. Again, Sindhu is here, because we're talking about God's provisions. We're talking about Philippians. And for you guys who are listening, actually, this concept, this idea of really looking into Philippians, we're looking to Paul and who he's about, it's actually Sindhu's idea. So I said, well, Sindhu, since this is your idea, you should come and talk about it. So can you give us some reason, some background information to what inspires you of Philippians and why you wanted to talk about Philippians? Well, if you look at social media today, 2020 has a pretty bad rap, right? I mean, all the, the memes, about the toilet paper shortage. And, and that's just the funny stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, this COVID crisis now has been going on eight months plus. And for, for most of us, it has touched us in some way or another. And I just think that the church, the body is really needing encouragement and where else to turn to. I mean, but the word of life, right? And I, and I really believe that Philippians in particular, the reason I gravitated to it was because I believe that in Philippians, you find a model, a model for Christ followers, right? 
And if you read through the book, and it's only four chapters, so, you know, I encourage you to, if you can sit and read it from chapter one to chapter four, you know, just at one go, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What you will find is that there is a model that is provided there for Christ followers, right? Through the example of Paul and the supreme example of Jesus about how to deal with the world that's just gone crazy and where everything that can go wrong goes, you know, has gone wrong, right? So just an anchor of hope and joy in the midst of the chaos. And, and as you say that, for people who are not too familiar with Philippians, can you give us a little bit more background to what's going on during that time? Other than it's kind of crazy. Sure. Okay. So just a little bit of background, right? The author of the book of Philippians is Paul, right? And back in the day, right, Paul did not live in the Bible Belt like you and me. Right. So if you travel around the DFW Metroplex, there is a church at every corner. Right. And (laughs) so when when Jesus was going back into heaven, he gave his disciples a command to to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what Paul, the apostle, was doing. He was going into unreached regions and places, often people who had never heard of the name of Christ and often very hostile to this gospel that he was presenting. And so it was in in that sort of an atmosphere that he planted over 14 churches. And the church at Philippi was one such church that he planted. However, the church at Philippi was a special church to Paul. They shared a very warm and affectionate relationship. And I believe that the reason for that was right from its inception, this group of believers were very supportive of Paul's ministry of preaching the good news. So since it was back in the day when you couldn't just jump on a plane and go visit as a Tooling pastor, the way that he would communicate with these bodies of believers was by writing them letters. And then these letters were hand delivered by a messenger who would walk many miles, sometimes get on a ship and travel for many months so that they could, you know, hand deliver this long awaited letter to the audience. So that's a little bit of the background there. And to give you a little bit more kind of a a feel or a sense for what was going on at that time when this letter was being written to this specific church, Paul was in prison. Okay, That's, that's a huge, very important thing to note. And Prison really, you know, back in back in the day, most likely he was just housebound. You know, he had soldiers outside the door. He was restricted in terms of going in and coming out, and only few people could come and visit him. So he was in in chains. He had guards watching him, 
And he had heard that in this special body of believers that he had a very special affinity for, there were some issues going on. There was some strife between some of the key leaders. Okay, so there was some internal strife. And apart from that, there was also hostility from the outside community. So that's just, you know, kind of a bird's eye view for you, a little bit of the overview or background in which Paul is writing this letter. Sure. And there, there's two things that stand out to me as you were describing the situation. The first one was, you know, Philippi being dear to Paul's heart. And, and, and in that dearness that they were very supportive of him. And as you said that, I'm like, yeah, they were supportive of him. But how in the world is he in jail? But that, that's a tangent. I, I won't go into that one too much just yet. But the other thing that stood out was the strife between leaders yeah. in the mm-hmm. congregation. And I want to say for those who are listening, and I know that we've all experienced at some point that we're a part of a church family and that there's issues between the leaders. It, 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 that's unfortunately human nature. We're not going to agree all the time. But I, I like, though, that Paul, even though he was in prison, had some things going on for himself, somehow he was still able to think about their need mm-hmm. and want to encourage them and help them to feel special. And so in his character and the good things that he was exuding while being on house arrest, if you can kind of, I think, walk us through a little bit how who he is in that moment can be an inspiration for us in our moment, because we are in a season of discomfort. We, we are in a season where we probably feel trapped, but, but how can we still shift this crazy piece of who of what we're enduring to a place where we're hopeful, but not only hopeful, we have joy, but not only have joy, but we're also able to encourage others through their difficult time. I know that's loaded. (laughs) I hear you, Kamir, and I am just amazed how this book written so long ago, right, speaks to us, uh, speaks to the very heart of what we are going through today, here and now, it is a word for every season. It's the word of life, right? So what I believe, and I, and I know that our, our time together will be just scratching the surface of this. And so I really encourage our listeners to go back and dig and meditate and, and chew on these words for yourself. But what I have been able to draw from this is that Paul had a very deep conviction that he belonged to Christ, Mm. that he was there by God's design, that God not only began a good work in him, but that God would see it through to the end, not just for him, but for the church of Philippi. And the same for you and me today, you know, that we belong to him and mm. we are his and he is ours and he's got a purpose for us. And that's why we're here today in, in even in the midst of 
uh, rather overwhelming and scary time in our lives. And finally, that he will accomplish his purposes in us. Hmm. So, and to, to that end, one of the words that really jumps out at me is actually in the very first verse of chapter one. And Paul is, as he normally does in his greeting, introducing himself. And the way he does it time and again is by referring to himself as bond servant. And the Greek word for that is doulos. And what that is referring to is back in the day when slavery was legal, it was, it was there, it existed, somebody who had earned their way out of slavery because they had paid their dues, they had done their time, and they were really legally allowed to go free. But in, the, in these cases, they loved their master so much that they voluntarily would choose to remain with their master and serve them to the end of their days. So right there, that word bondservant, Paul refers to himself that way. And interestingly, but you know, not surprisingly, Jesus is also referred to as a bondservant in chapter 2, verses 7. And if, you, if you'd like to read it through to verse 11, both Jesus and Paul refer to them. And, and that right there is identity. I belong to a, a loving, heavenly father. And, and I live to serve him. So Paul was, that was Paul's life mission. Christ was what he talked and ate and dreamt about, whether in chains or whether he was free. So that's one thing I really wanted to highlight for us about Paul, that his, he was, his identity was completely centered around Christ. Secondly, Paul goes um, in detail in chapter 3 and starts listing out this whole list of qualifications. And sometimes, you know, especially when I was a little younger, I, Paul got on my nerves a bit, you know, it's like, this guy, he brags, you know, he's a, he can tend to brag a bit, but even behind the bragging, right, there was a point he was trying to make. And he says, I count all of this as rubbish. I mean, all these amazing qualifications, like if we were to talk about in the modern day, right, I went to went to Harvard and, you know, I have a double PhD and da, 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 well, you know, all of that stuff. And he says, all of that I would consider as pure rubbish, right? For the joy and the knowledge of knowing Christ. So that would be my second point in terms of how Paul kind of saw his life i will say though like the thing that that stood out to me the most in what you were sharing was the fact that he knew that he belonged to a loving heavenly father and that response to that belonging 
was to serve him and his identity was centered. Mm-hmm. And I know recently for me, God has been taking me through this journey where I'm learning how to make sure that that I'm receiving him in my journey, that he is in my journey, that we're walking this journey together, that I'm holding his hand, that I'm being willing to hold his hand instead of me running off because I have a tendency just to run off because I, I think I, I know things a certain way. But but there's another word that you use where I think is so tender in terms of his understanding was the mere fact that he was able to relate to God as a loving father. And I know so many times through our circumstances, it's difficult to see God being loving because we're enduring hard times. We're enduring pain. But I, I really did enjoy hearing that connection that, yeah, you know, his identity was in Christ and in God because he knew how loving he was and he knew that he had great provision for him. And so his actions mimic that understanding. And, and so I, I kind of want to go into a little bit more detail because one of the things that I I sort of alluded to, so if I didn't, here it is, I'm just going to say it and drop it out, is that somehow too, even though he was imprisoned, he was still able to have hope and joy and call other people to it. Yes, absolutely, yes. And I, and I think that that flows from his identity. You can't share, you can't give what you don't have. Uh, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So this, this, uh, this apostle, he, he was anchored. I mean, his very life was anchored and centered. His whole identity was wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus. And so as a natural overflow of that is the joy that he experienced. And so I I would love to to take a few minutes to kind of go into sure go for Christian joy. Okay. Yes. So Christian joy and and sometimes it's easier to describe what something is by starting off with what it's not, right? So let me tell you what Christian joy isn't, okay? So it is not a positive emotion that depends on favorable circumstances of the moment. Okay, now you got to remember this old apostle, okay? Because at this moment in time, it's not like he's a spring chicken, right? He's, he's an older man, right? And he is in chains and he is talking about joy and he's talking about rejoicing and he is in chains. So, Christian joy is not a positive emotion that depends on me having that job promotion or having that that life partner that I've been praying for. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are all good gifts from the Lord, right? And they are to be celebrated and they are wonderful answers to prayers. But This type of Christian joy that we are referring to, specifically within the book of Philippians, it's it's coming from a very, very deep place where I have nothing 
but him. And I realized that really, I have all I need. You know, sometimes when we are stripped of everything, health and finances and, and even, let's say, rest at night, he is that place. He is that, that soft place that I can lean into and receive strength and receive joy. So it, 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 what it is, is a deep conviction that I am his and he is mine, going back to identity, okay? It is believing that what I am experiencing right now, right here, even 2020, did not catch God by surprise. Mm. It is believing that he is actively at work in my life right now, even in the midst of being laid off, even in the midst of family, uh, friends, uh, falling ill, or you know whatever the, the, the trial may be, knowing that even though I cannot see with my eyes, I know that I know that I know because of Jesus, I know without a doubt that if he did not spare his only son for me, that he can work this out and he will, he will. So that's the kind, it, it's a determined resting. I, I really like a uh, think of joy in that way, kind of, you know, it's not a passive sitting in my rocking chair waiting for the weather to change in Texas, you know, it is an active posture. It is a determined resting in his love for me. So that's Christian joy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit because that was so powerful. And it kind of it took me off guard a little bit because you, you've honed in the, to the essence of who we are in him. And, and you've honed in, in in terms of as well, resting in him. And I, I love also too, there has to be a conviction about it. And, and so many times when circumstances are happening, we go up and down, we fluctuate, we fluctuate. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, maybe I'll be a little bit more confident in, in who he is for me. But I, I think what you shared is, is so key because it is calling us back to no matter what is going on in those ups and downs, that there still is a conviction that I will rest in him, that I will allow him to work through my circumstances, and I believe in what he's going to do for me. Absolutely, Camille. And, and, you know, if I can just insert something in there, you know, not every day is a woohoo, you know, hallelujah, I am full of the Holy Ghost, and I am, you know, walking in his word. Not every day feels like that. And, and I, I yeah. really appreciate the fact that the book of Philippians, you know, talks about the fact that we are in process. You yeah. know, uh, the, ref the reference in uh, chapter one to God continuing his good work in us till the end. And then again, Paul in chapter three, verse 12, 
talking about what I haven't already attained. I mean, here's this, this I mean, the superhero uh, of our spiritual faith, right? And he says, but even I haven't already attained, nor am I already perfect, but mm-hmm. I press on. So I just want to reiterate something that you mentioned in your earlier segment that this is not to shame us in any way or to to tell us that, gosh, you know, I, I better be better than this. But it's to, again, encourage us mm-hmm. um, to keep going every day, right. step by step. Right. Yeah. And, and within that keep going step by step, can you provide like some practical things that we can do to hone on or to not hone, but to be able to keep that journey, that, that walking? So I want to, again, circle back around to identity, right? Mm-hmm. I can't stress enough that you can read every self-help book. You can be going to your counselor every day of the week, right? You can be doing every single thing, but if you are not anchored in Christ, if you do not know who you belong to, then everything else I'm going to talk about here on out will fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So this is like the foundation. The identity part is the absolute foundation. Well, I do believe that was a drop to mic statement. So thank you for all that you've shared. And I'm not going to add to that. That that was just wonderful. (laughs) Ooh, and I'm so excited because I want to talk about some of the things that you shared, especially from a practical standpoint. But we are way over time today, but it's a good reason. I, I, I didn't want to stop this insight and, and the things that you've been sharing. And so what I always do when I run out of time, I ask the person they want to come back. But instead of asking, I'm just going to say, Sindhu, you're coming back because <laughs> I have some more questions to ask. And there's more things that I think we need to flush out and, and talk through from a practical I standpoint. To. I would so, love to. Yes, I'm going to say you love to because we have a choice. <laughs> but hey, thanks. But okay, you guys, thank you for listening. Please come back next week where we finish this great conversation because we definitely want to leave you because the things that she shared is like, okay, that's a lot. How do I make this practical? And so we're going to spend some time talking through how to make this practical and, and so that we don't feel overwhelmed by it or feel like it's not something that we can accomplish. So tune in next week. We're going to have a great time. Thank you, guys.